Welcome to the Beacon Church Podcast. Each week we post a sermon from our last Sunday service so you can catch up, review, or share with your friends. We pray as you listen to this week's episode, you're encouraged and equipped to love God, love people, grow in Christ, and serve the world. Merry Christmas! Almost Christmas. This is our last Sunday before Christmas. So glad you guys could join us. Uh, so show of hands, who's not done with their Christmas shopping? That's, uh, oh, yeah. uh, I'll just move that backward. Uh, <laughs> I, uh, I'm not quite done myself. Uh, and it's, it's problematic because the Amazon window is getting like real narrow right now. Uh, and I'm an Amazon Christmas shopper. Anybody else do at least portion of their shopping on Amazon? Amazon changed the game of Christmas shopping in a whole lot of ways. But I've noticed this week that they haven't just changed the experience of uh, gift giving. They've also changed the, uh, changed the experience of gift receiving. Because my family is not local. Lindsay's family is not local. So we ship presents to each other. And in the olden days, we'd go out to a store. We'd buy a gift. We'd wrap it. We'd put it in a box. We'd take it to UPS and ship it out. And then, and then when you would receive it, you would see like a return address label. And you'd know, oh, this is from so-and-so. You'd know it was a gift. And you'd open it up with all of that in mind. Now, I just get Amazon boxes that show up to my doorstep. And I'm like, oh, what did I order? I don't remember. And then I open it and realize, oh, this is a gift. This is a pleasant surprise. It's kind of like a new mystery game with, with Christmas. Uh, except sometimes the, there's the, you know, just that little slip inside with like size six-point font that tells you who actually bought it with a little gift message. And if the gift is good enough, you forget to look. And that happened to me earlier this week. I got this new saw that I wanted, and I pulled it out, and I opened it up, and I'm looking at my saw, and then quickly realized that there's a one-year-old and a two-year-old in my living room, and so I'm like, ah, oh, I need to put the saw away someplace safe. And in, in the midst of all that, I totally forgot to even look who sent me the saw. And it wasn't until a full day later that I saw the slip there. I'm like, oh, that's who gave it to me. That was very sweet and thoughtful of them. But it got me thinking about Christmas, because there's a piece of the Christmas story that's often overlooked. A piece of the Christmas story that doesn't get a lot of attention. It's actually the very beginning of the Christmas story. Before Mary and angels and shepherds and magi and any of that, the very first moment of the Christmas story was a commissioning. A commissioning service where the Father commissioned the Son. Where God the Father sent Jesus into the world. That Christmas isn't just about Jesus coming, but it's also about the Father sending. And this might seem like, you know, just kind of some meaningless trivia, but it's not. And it's the Apostle John who picks up on on it the most. He's the one who really fixates on the fact that Jesus didn't just come to the world, but Jesus was sent by the Father. In fact, almost a couple dozen times between John's gospel and his letters, he specifically talks about Jesus being sent by the Father. And there's a couple of reasons why I think John, of all people, fixates on this. And the first is because John understood that the Father expressed his love. The way the Father showed his love to us was by sending the Son. This is the verse that Crisbell read for us earlier while lighting the candle. says, this is how God showed his love among us. He sent his Son. That the sending action of the Father, that Christmas is the demonstration of God's love, his one and only Son, into the world that we might live through him. This is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and he sent his son, as the atoning sacrifice for our sins. And we have seen and we testify that the father has sent his son to be the savior of the world. 
that Christmas, it's not just about Jesus coming, that there is, I mean, it's easy to focus on that because it's a really good gift and we just get wrapped up in the gift of Jesus coming. We could overlook the fact that the Father is a sender. Right? And, and to give credit where credit is due, that the Father has sent the Son and that this is a demonstration of his love for us. But there's another reason that I think John fixates on this. And it's because Jesus said something to John and the other apostles and John was there and he heard it. Right? And it was at the end of his time with Jesus, it was after Jesus died and rose again, he's with the disciples and he says something about how the Father sent him to John and the other disciples, something that would change the course of John's life for, for the rest of it. John lived a long time after that and all of it was shaped by what Jesus was about to say. He said, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I am sending you. John fixated on the fact that Jesus was sent by the Father because he knew that his whole purpose for being was that Jesus sent him in the same way the Father sent Jesus. He understood that the Father loved the world so much that he sent Jesus, and Jesus loved the world so much that he sent you. No pressure, but you are the active, ongoing expression of Jesus' love for the world. God showed his love by sending Jesus. Jesus shows his love by sending you. And it's, this is going to kind of sound heretical, so just bear with me for a moment. But Jesus' death on the cross for you, that by itself is insufficient for people to know that Jesus loves them. All right, I know that sounds kind of crazy, but Jesus dying on the cross for you was insufficient. Just that by itself was insufficient even for you to know that Jesus loves you because someone else had to tell you that. And unless you were one of the original followers of Jesus who walked with Jesus and actually saw him die and rise again, unless you were one of those early followers, everyone else throughout history has only known the love of Jesus because Jesus sent people like you to tell them. And so you are the ongoing active expression of God's love in the world. Even think about the Apostle Paul. Apostle Paul, some of you guys know the story of the Apostle Paul, and he had this miraculous conversion. Jesus shows up, and he, he like knocks him off his horse, and he blinds him. And up to this point, Paul was persecuting the church. He hated Christians. He was trying to like squash the whole Jesus movement. Jesus shows up, this miraculous event. You can say, well, no, no, there's somebody, Paul. Paul came to know the love of Jesus just through Jesus. But no, no, look at the interaction. Jesus shows up to Paul and he says, I am Jesus whom you're persecuting. Now get up and go into the city and you will be told what you must do. Jesus just says, hey, go to the city. Jesus doesn't even talk to him about like the gospel. He doesn't say I died for your sins. He doesn't do any of that. Jesus says, go to the city and you're gonna be told. And then the very next thing Jesus does is he shows up to a, a man named Ananias, just an ordinary guy, just like you or me, Shows up to Ananias and he says, Ananias, go to Paul. What Jesus does is he sends Ananias so that Paul can understand how much Jesus loves him. The father loved the world, so he sent Jesus. Jesus loves the world, so he's sending you. And nobody is going to know, nobody is going to know the love of Jesus 
unless someone like you is sent to tell them. And listen, I'm not saying that God can't do it some other way. God is sovereign. He could do whatever he wants. It's just that in all of recorded history, God never does it any other way except sending people like you so the world will know that he loves them. And so Jesus is, is sending us out. This is exactly what Romans 10 is talking about. It says, everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, which is great. That's great news. But how then can they call on the one they haven't believed in? And how can they believe in the one of whom they have not heard? And how can they hear without someone preaching to them? And how can anyone preach unless they are sent? And the good news is you've been sent. Paul follows it up. As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who bring good news. You have been sent to do Christmas. Good Friday and Easter, we don't get to do those. That's a one-time event. Jesus did it. Done. Christmas, that's something we get to keep doing. Christmas started because the Father loved the world and he sent Jesus. And Jesus intended to keep that going. He intended for you to do Christmas. And so what I want to do with the rest of our time is we're going to bounce through the gospel of John and we're going to look at how Jesus was sent by the Father. If Jesus is sending us in the same way the Father sent him, then I think we can get a clear picture of how we're being sent if we look at how Jesus is being sent. And the first question we need to ask is, why was Jesus sent? All right, we're going to look at how as well, but we've got to start with why. Why is, is the, the most important part? Because even if we get the how right, if we get the why wrong, it kind of undermines the whole thing. Imagine, imagine for a minute, I send you to the grocery store to pick up some groceries for dinner. All right, and, uh, and, and then I tell you how to do it. I say, well, you know, go to this particular grocery store because they carry the brands that I like. And, uh, and don't forget to take these coupons with you. Oh, no, make sure to put it on this credit card because I get 5% back this quarter. And oh, and uh, here's my phone number for the loyalty program. Oh, don't forget to bring the reusable bag because otherwise they're going to charge you five cents for a paper bag that's going to rip anyway. And so these are all the details of how you're going to go. And so you go to the grocery store and you do it all right. You go to the right place and you use the right credit card and you use the coupons and the loyalty program program and the reusable bag and all of that. You do all of it right and then you come home and I open the bag and there's kitty litter and dish soap and paper plates. Uh, well, you did it all right. Like you, you had the how right, but you had the why wrong, right? You weren't sent to the store to get kitty litter and plates and dish soap. You were sent to get groceries for dinner. So we have to start with the why because if we get the why wrong, even if we get the how right, it undermines the whole thing. So how, why, did Je why was Jesus sent? God, this is in John 3, 17. God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. Why was Jesus sent? He was sent on a rescue mission. Jesus was sent to save the world. Jesus wasn't sent to condemn the world. He wasn't sent to just point out all the things that are wrong with the world. He wasn't sent to just be a, a good moral example for us and give us a new moral codes so that we could do good in the world. And, and we do do good in the world, and he did good in the world, and that's how he was sent, but that's not why he was sent. He wasn't sent just to start a new movement. He wasn't sent just to to even start a new church, Jesus was sent on a rescue mission because what you and I needed, what the world needs more than anything else, is to be rescued. 
right? And he goes on to say, whoever believes in him is not condemned, but whoever does not believe stands condemned already because they have not believed in the name of God's one and only son. And you see what Jesus is saying? He's not saying that that anyone is condemned because they don't believe in Jesus. He's saying that we stand condemned already. The whole reason Jesus came is because our natural state is standing condemned because of the sin and rebellion in our hearts. It's that believing in Jesus gets, gets us out of what we already deserved. If you actually go a little farther in John 3, he says it similarly. He says, whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on them. Right? It's not that God's wrath comes on them for not believing in Jesus. It says God's wrath remains on us. Because the wrath of God is what our sin and our rebellion deserve. And I know for most of us, we believe this. That's why we're Christians, because we believe this. And we've, we've clung to Jesus as our Savior. But I, I know every week we have people that are, are here and you're wrestling with this and you're not sure you believe that. And you hear this idea of the wrath of God being poured out on you, remaining on you. And it just, it offends a little bit and it doesn't feel right to you. And, and I get that. And I, I want to just encourage you. Uh, I want to encourage you to consider the source Who's saying this? This is Jesus, the same Jesus who is willing to go to the cross so that this wrath would be redirected to him. This wrath would be diverted onto him so it doesn't remain on you. It wasn't that Jesus was just going to go poof and make it disappear. No, Jesus was willing to take this wrath for you. He was willing to take that condemnation for you because he loves you that much. This isn't coming from somebody who's just looking to point the finger. This is coming from somebody who's willing to put skin in the game to rescue you from this wrath. And so I just want to encourage you, if you're in this place and you're still wondering, ah, you know, I don't feel comfortable with this whole talk of God's wrath, consider the source. Consider who it's coming from. And at the very least, I just I hope and pray that you don't write it off, that you at least give it some time to wrestle with these things and see if the Holy Spirit does that work in your heart to accept the reality that I deserve the wrath of God. This isn't just, you know, that this is a you problem. This is an us problem. And Jesus came to rescue us from that because that is what we need more than anything else. And I know you guys, you guys have had lots of challenges in your life. Some of them I can't even fathom. Some people dealing with chronic illnesses, some people dealing with financial hardships that just seem like they are unending. Some of you, I, I know you've been challenged with just loneliness on a, an epic scale. There's hurts and there's hardships that you've been facing. And some of these things I can't even comprehend. But here's the one thing I do know for sure. The biggest problem that you've ever faced in your life was that the wrath of God was being directed at you. The biggest problem that any one of us will ever face in life is having the wrath of God directed at us, having the creator of the universe set against us. That's the biggest problem any of us can face. And so when Jesus comes, he doesn't just come to fix some of these other challenges and they're real and they're hard. I'm not dismissing or trivializing these other challenges, but what I'm saying is nothing compares to having the creator of the universe set against you. And Jesus came to rescue us from that. And if that's why Jesus was sent, and guess what? That's why we're being sent too. 
That's why we're being sent out into the world. And, and remembering why Jesus was sent is important because it helps us not fall into two, one of two potential pitfalls. Because there's some of us, we get the wrath of God. Like we're, we're on board with the wrath of God. We like it probably a little bit too much. And we kind of get this high from, you know, pointing out all the things that's wrong with the world today. And like, that's wrong and you're wrong. And look what they're doing. That's wrong, 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 wrong. We love pointing out all the wrong. There's something just, I don't know, that, that's delightful and all of that. And yet, what is that? It's condemnation. That's us condemning the world around us. Jesus said, I did not come to condemn the world. I came to save it. And so for you, Christian, you're not sent to condemn the world. You're not sent to just go out and point out all the things that are wrong with the world. Of course there are things wrong with the world. It stands condemned already. We're sent out to, to bring this message of rescue and redemption and reconciliation. But on the other side of it, for some of us, we, we have this desire to just kind of do good in the world. We want to go and, you know, make sure that we're feeding the hungry and we're clothing the naked. And Jesus did all of these things, right? And he did. But again, that's how Jesus did it. That's not why he was sent. That's how he was sent. That's not why he was sent. Why he was sent. Why he was sent was to bring this message, a message of rescue, and redemption, and, and if we're going to go and we're going to bring good things into the world, which is good, but if that's all we're doing, it might feel like compassion, but there is nothing more heartless than a follower of Jesus looking at somebody who is standing under the wrath of God and saying nothing to them about how they can be rescued from it. It's like, it's like offering somebody palliative care who's dying when the whole time you have the cure in their pocket and you're making them comfortable while they're dying and you have the cure for the disease. And so we, we want to avoid either side of the spectrum and we want to remember that Jesus was sent on a rescue mission and he sends us in the same way the Father sent him to rescue and restore. But that brings us to how he was sent. And I'm going to talk about four different ways uh, in how Jesus was sent. And the first two of these hows have more to do with, with the sendee, the person being sent and how he goes. And the, the latter two are more about the sender and how the, the sender sends. All right. So how is Jesus sent? Jesus says, I have testimony weightier than that of John. For the works that the Father has given me to finish, the very works that I'm doing, testify that the Father has sent me. So how did Jesus come? He was sent doing good. So yes, the reason Jesus was sent wasn't just to do good works, but Jesus came doing good works because it was the good that he was doing that actually validated to the world that he was sent by the Father. The good works that he was doing actually validated that he was coming to rescue and redeem. And if we're going into the world and we're just bringing the message of salvation, but we, we pay no attention to the hurt that people are feeling, that's not love. Like, which one of you, if it was your own child that was hungry or naked, would be like, you know, what they really need is salvation. And now those other things, they don't really matter, right? No, of course not. Jesus, yes, he came to save, 
but he came doing good as a way to demonstrate to the world he is who he says he was, that it validated that he was sent. And us being sent like Jesus, we validate our sentness by doing good. Check out this video from John From the very beginning, God's way for reaching and restoring the world has always been through what I would call a blessing strategy. In Genesis chapter 12, he says to Abraham, I'm going to bless you, I'm going to make your name great, you're going to be a blessing, and the people of the earth will be blessed through you. So God blessed, we know this, right? Abraham blessed him financially, blessed him spiritually, blessed him relationally, and he blessed him, okay, not just to receive the blessing, but he blessed him to what? To be a blessing, exactly right. And same is true with all of us that followed after him. If that was God's strategy in the very beginning, I began to wonder, would that work? (laughs) Could simply challenging people to be a blessing accomplish the Jesus mission? Well, I ran across a fascinating study that was actually called Blessers versus Converters. The study was based on two teams of missionaries that went to Thailand, and they both went to Thailand with two distinctly different missional strategies. All right, the converters went with the sole intention of just converting people, evangelizing people. The blessers went with the intention of just blessing people. They said, wherever God sent us, we're going to be a blessing to that place and that people. After two years, here's what they discovered. Number one, they discovered that the blessers' presence in the community resulted in tremendous amounts of social good. Not so with the converters. Secondly, and this is surprising, the blessers actually had 50 times as many conversions as the converters. The blessers helped 50 times more people found their way back to God. And the bottom line on that study was to accomplish the mission to reach and restore, we need to be blessers. You hear a study like that and you see 50 times as many people came to know and recognize that Jesus loved them when people came blessing them. And it shouldn't be shocking, because as he says, that was God's strategy from the beginning, but it's also what we see in Jesus, that Jesus came to rescue. That's the why, but how he did it, he did it by doing good. And you guys have been doing good all month, which has been awesome. We've uh, been doing these generosity assignments each week here with our Doing Christmas series. In the first week, we gave out thousands of dollars to you to go and spend and and do good with it. And it's been great hearing these stories coming in. I've actually really appreciated hearing some of the stories from some of the the younger adults, some of the the teenagers in the church who they took their money and they're they're doing stuff with it. One young man, he bought a book for another little kid. Another young man, he had some friends at school that were going through a hard time. And so he worked with his family. They pulled their their resources together to get Christmas gifts for these kids. And uh, another young man, he actually, one of the larger cash gifts and he, he took it and he went and he, uh, well, he had his parents go and get a gift card so that he could give it to the family nanny that's been caring for him and his brothers this whole time. And being able to do good in this way is a, uh, how the world will know that Jesus is the one who sent us, right? In the same way that the good works that Jesus did we're a validation to the world that the Father sent him. Our doing good in the world, it validates us that Jesus is the one who sent us, that we're not just going in our, our own strength and our own power with our own message. We are going on behalf of Jesus. It gives us credibility in this world, and we see the fruit of that. The second way that Jesus was sent, Jesus was sent with a community. 
Jesus prays this prayer at the end of John 17. He says, I I pray also for those who will believe in me through their message. So there, here is the apostles, all right? The apostles were the ones sent to bring this message to actually us. We're the ones who believe in Jesus through their message. He prays that all of them may be one. Father, just as you are in me and I am in you, may they all be in us so that the world may believe that you have sent me. He goes on to say, I have given them the glory that you gave me, that they may be one as we are one, all right? So this oneness, again, I and them and you and me, so that they may be brought to complete unity, he prays. He says, that complete unity, then the world will know that you sent me. Then the world will know that you sent me and have loved them even as you have loved me. He's saying that our unity... Our unity, our love for one another is going to be a a demonstration to the world that Jesus really was sent by the Father. And Jesus prays for this here, but it's also what he builds. It's what he he actually cultivates in the the few years of his ministry. You ever ever think about it? Jesus, he easily could have just done his thing alone. He's Jesus. What does he need the apostles for? Right? It actually probably would have been a lot easier for Jesus to do what he did without the extra baggage. Like, my daughter is, she's going to be three in March, and she's in that, that phase of like, no, I do it. No, I do it. I want to do it. I want to do it, which is great, you know, and she's building her independence. And so we want to, we do, we want to like embrace that, empower her. And so we let her do things. But man, it would be a whole lot easier to just do things. It'd be a whole lot quicker for us to just do it. And it'd be a lot more frustration if we could just do it. And you read through the gospels and you see the interactions with Jesus and the disciples. And, and it's a little bit like a parent with a toddler. And you just think like, there's a number of times where it would have been so much easier for Jesus to just do it by himself, but he didn't. He chose to do it with a community of people. And to build this community of people and build this, this complete unity because there's, there's something about us being united together that is a demonstration to the world that Jesus was sent by the Father. And this unity that Jesus is talking about, it's not just the absence of discord. It's not just the absence of division. When he's talking about this complete unity, he's talking about this shared life where we're sharing each other's burdens and we're sharing in each other's joys and we're doing life together and we're we're cultivating a community, a complete unity together. And there's something about that unity, something even mystical that Jesus says demonstrates to the world that the world will know that the Father sent him because of our unity. And the same is true for us, that as we're sent, we're sent in community, with community, that the world will know that there's something about being in community that actually empowers us and makes our sending that much more uh, effective. And, and of course, you've probably seen this. Maybe you've even seen it in your own life, right? Where, where maybe there was a time in your life where you, you went out and you were sent out on a mission and you're doing ministry with people and you're seeing friends respond to the truth of the gospel and you're seeing things happen and then maybe over time you, you sort of drifted from community. And as you drifted from having deep, meaningful community with other Christians, you actually saw your effectiveness with the gospel wane with it. Or maybe you've seen it in the opposite direction where maybe you used to not have Christian community. 
And then you started to engage and you started to share life with other followers of Jesus and started to develop that unity. And all of a sudden you started to realize that the rest of your life, there's this sort of ministry effectiveness that came with it. But one thing I've, I've never seen is somebody drift away from Christian community and be increasingly sent <laughs> and be more effectively sent. It never works in that direction. Because Jesus wasn't sent alone. He was sent with a community, and so, so are you. And I, I know for some of you, uh, you're, you're not in a small group, and that's because you have deep, meaningful Christian community elsewhere somehow already, and that's great. But I know for others, you've opted out of being a part of a small group, but we do small groups the way we do at Beacon. Like, they're not just Bible studies for a reason. They're places where we're trying to, to cultivate the kind of Christian community that Jesus is talking about here, because we believe what Jesus said, that in this, this love for one another, where we're united and we're sharing life together and we're sharing each other's burdens and struggles and joys and all of that, that as followers of Christ coming together, united in this way, it's, it's this proof to the world that Jesus is sent by the Father and we're the ones sent by Jesus. And so I encourage you, not just for your sake, but for the sake of the lost people in your life to engage in Christian community. That our sentness and the effectiveness of our sentness is contingent upon us being completely united with other people. Number three of how Jesus was sent, and I love this one, he wasn't the only one sent. Look at this. John 1 says, there was a man sent from God whose name was John, and he came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him all might believe. So the John that's talked about here, it's not John who wrote this, it's John the Baptist. But John is saying that through John the Baptist all might believe. Well, couldn't Jesus just have done it himself? He's Jesus. He's the son of God. Why does he need John? Well, of course he doesn't need John the Baptist. But this has been God's method from the very beginning. God loves to include other people in the process. And so he includes John in the process. He himself wasn't the light. He came only as a witness to the light. John the Baptist was sent to prepare the way for Jesus. Jesus didn't do his mission alone. He wasn't the only one that was part of people's faith journey. And this is probably for me one of the most comforting things about being sent out like Jesus was sent out, you're not being sent out alone. You're, you're not the only one being sent into people's lives. Which means the burden of it doesn't all fall on your shoulders. You don't have to do everything. You get to just do what you can do. All right? And on the one hand, this isn't a, like a way for us to just kind of excuse us and say, oh, we're not important. Your part might be crucially important. But it doesn't mean that you're doing the whole thing. Uh, a few years ago, Lindsay was doing some work in a Starbucks, and this young woman struck up conversation with her. And as uh, they were talking, Lindsay just said, hey, you know, why don't, why don't you come to church? I think it was even the same day. Uh, it was right before Thanksgiving. We had, a Thanksgiving. we had a Thanksgiving Eve service at the time. So she invites this young woman to church. And to her surprise, that young woman, Danielle, comes to church that night. And uh, Danielle, uh, she, had, she was living in Bayshore at the time, but she came to church and something just resonated with her heart and she seemed like 
she wanted to go deeper. And Lindsay was like, well, the distance is hard, but we know of another church. So Centerpoint has a Bayshore uh, campus. And so she connected her with Centerpoint and Bayshore. And next thing we know, she's like going and she's starting to get involved. And then in, uh, in March of 2016, Danielle wrote this. She posted this on her Facebook. She says, I'm thankful for new friends like Lindsay Nauta. So grateful for you inviting me to your church that Thanksgiving night. Even though we just met I was, as I was growing on my spiritual journey and for referring me to Centerpoint Church Bayshore Campus, thanks for becoming a friend and spreading your great faith and love to me and all those around you. Pretty cool. She was kind of moved by just this simple little invite. Two months later, May 2016, tonight at Centerpoint Church, I committed my heart to Jesus and was baptized. I never understood what it meant to be to be a Christian until about a year ago, but I feel so blessed to have started this journey. And all of it from a simple invite to church. It seems something so so small and, and inconsequential, and yet Danielle's life was changed for eternity because Lindsay just did her part. Did Lindsay do it all? No. Somebody else was sent to prepare in advance so her heart was already in the right place and somebody else was sent to be the one to lead her to Christ and to baptize her. But, but the whole thing wouldn't have happened if Lindsay didn't do her part and what you get to do is your part. And you might not feel equipped to do the whole thing. We, we hope and we pray that you will be equipped one day to lead somebody to faith and to kind of walk through that whole thing with them. And, but here's, here's the great thing. You don't have to wait till you're equipped to do that to do something, to be sent out that something as simple as an invite to church can change the course of somebody's eternal life. And so we wanted to equip you today with a tool just so you can do this. This is your generosity assignment for this week. The ushers are going to come through and they're going to distribute uh, these door hangers inviting people to Christmas Eve. And we're going to give out 10 door hangers per family unit, all right? So not 10 per person, but 10 per family unit. You guys can start to distribute those to people. And what we're going to ask you to do is to take them home and put them on the doors of your neighbors, just go up your street and put them right there on the doors. Or maybe, maybe you have somebody in particular in mind who maybe isn't a neighbor, but you want to just make sure that they get the invite and you're going to put it on their door. And, and for some, all you're going to do is you're just going to put it on the door. But maybe for some, you know, as you're putting it on your door, your neighbor's going to come out and you're going to be able to give them a personal invite and say, hey, you know, we're doing this show on Christmas Eve. I don't know if you have plans. Why don't you come on out? And it seems like it's something so small and insignificant but you guys know our God. Our God loves to use the small and insignificant things to do great things. And, and who knows, maybe somebody who lives up the street from you is going to see that door hanger. And they're going to come out on Christmas Eve. And they're going to they're have a good time. And they're going to come back sometime in January. And somebody else from Beacon is going to be sent on the First Impressions team to make them feel welcome. And Somebody else from, from Beacon is going to be sent as a, a worship leader and they're going to sing a song that's going to resonate with their hearts. And somebody else from Beacon is going to be sent to give a teaching that's going to cause them to, to maybe think differently or be intrigued to go deeper. And they're going to get plugged into Alpha and, and somebody else is going to be sent as a discussion leader to help them wrestle through their questions and what they believe. And, and down the road, maybe one of the care pastors is going to be sent to have coffee with them, and in that conversation, lead them to Christ. 
and they're going get to get baptized. And that's not hypothetical. This we see happen over and over and over again. And maybe you doing your part will get to be a part of it. Because God loves to include us in the work that he's going to do. It gives him glory. It brings us joy. And he's inviting you to do what you can do as you're sent. But before, uh, before we stop talking about these, these door hangers, I just want to do one thing. Can you take them and, and just hold them up in the air? Raise them up. Because I, I want to pray over these door hangers. I want to pray that God will use these as more than just something for people to throw in the garbage. Let me pray. Father, these are seemingly small and seemingly inconsequential. But you, God, are the God who uses the small and the inconsequential to do immeasurably more than we could ask or imagine. And so I pray over these door hangers that these will not just be invitations to church, but these will be invitations to the first step or the next step on someone's spiritual journey. God, I pray that, that this will be a part of someone's story of rescue and redemption, God. And I, I pray that when we're in glory with you, we're gonna get to hear about the people in this room who were sent out even today with these door hangers, we're going to be hearing about how that was the reason somebody else was in eternity with them. God, and so we pray over these. We pray that your spirit will do something miraculous with these. In Jesus' name, amen. God can do amazing things with small things. God can do amazing things with with people that feel like they are not adequate. And, and I want to leave you with just one more way of how Jesus was sent. Jesus was sent. He was sent with the Spirit. Look what it says. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God. For God gives the Spirit without limit. All right? So Jesus, what he's saying is, Jesus came with power, but but we know Jesus didn't come with his own power. He set aside his power to come to earth as a human being. This is what Robert talked about last week is that Jesus set aside his power so much that he made himself even dependent on other people. But Jesus still came with power. It was just the power of the Spirit. And he was able to do incredible things because of the Spirit at work through him. And then, going back to our text... Jesus says, peace be with you as the Father has sent me, I'm sending you. And with that, he breathed on them and he said, receive the Holy Spirit. In the same way that the Father sent the Son with the Spirit, Jesus sent you with the Spirit of God. That same Spirit that took little puny Gideon and made him this mighty hero to deliver the Israelites from the Midianites. The same spirit that came on, on little young David so that he could defeat Goliath. The same spirit that healed the sick and restored sight to the blind. The same spirit that took the, the lifeless body of Jesus and brought it back to life. That spirit is in you. As you go out, as you're being sent out, his spirit is going with you. And so you can go boldly. You go humbly, humbly, but go boldly and confidently knowing 
that the Spirit of God goes with you, enabling you, empowering you to be the ongoing active expression of God's love in the world. If you enjoyed the sermon, want to learn more about Jesus, or get to know our community, please visit beacon.church to get connected. We would love to hear from you.